I am David Leonard. For those who don't know, I'm a retired United Methodist pastor and a member of this congregation. And I know that you will be delighted to have Marissa and her joyful spirit back next week. Uh, she's not here tonight because she's attending a conference requirement for her. And we wish her uh, well and hope that's productive for her. Tonight's message comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. Every once in a while, the text you read seem daunting, and this is one of those. Jesus has just fed 4,000, and he has healed the blind man. And then Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But who do you say that I am? He asked. Peter answered, you are the Christ. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, if anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Mighty God, we offer ourselves to you in this time. Let your word speak through me and let our ears hear it for us as you intend it. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> we pray the words all the time. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
But do we really mean it or do we just say the words? Because for me to pray those words means that I'm asking God to begin with me. And when you pray those words, you're asking God to begin with you. If God's will is done on earth, it always begins with us. Think for a moment, though. This is not a prayer for God to do all the work. It is a prayer for God's result to happen, but it is as much a pledge for us to participate in this work and to say no to what we want and yes to what we understand God wants. It is a pledge to deny our own needs and desires so we can follow in the way of Christ. Mary said it when the angel Gabriel appeared to her and said she would bear God's son. Her response, I am the Lord's servant. Be it done to me as you say. Jesus said it in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. The problem is, Judas did not say that because Judas was more concerned about his will than about Jesus' will. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray it every week in worship as we reflect on the state of our world and our own lives. I don't know about you, but I often feel helpless when our hearts are burdened because of the evil in our world. So we pray, thy will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven, in our plea for God to do something. But if that prayer is to be answered, it has to begin with us, and self-denial is the key. To living it out. That's what this season of Lent is about, and Marissa has talked about this in one of her previous uh, weeks. <clears throat> Lent has been set aside by the church as a, as a period of 40 days for us to think about our life, our relationship with God and with Christ, and, and how we are living out our discipleship to Jesus. One of the ways that's commonly done or suggested is that we participate in some form of self-denial. So some of us give up sugar or chocolate or soft drinks or, or something like that. Uh, the purpose, however, of giving something up is not just to give it up. The purpose is to give something up so you can take something else on in terms of your relationship with God. <clears throat> in the season of Lent, we're encouraged to practice this, and I looked up uh, uh, some suggestions 
2023, because culture changes, you know. So one of the things that, several of the things that are suggested we give up are social media, road rage, give up ignoring your health, give up skipping the gym, give up playing video games, now we're getting really serious, give up using your phone while you're driving, give up hitting the snooze button in the morning. <laughs> give up yelling at your children. And give up gossip. Now, they're good places to begin, I suppose. But while these, giving up all of these may help us become a better person and may even better our relationship with God and, and as a Christian witness... I'm really not sure that's quite the form of self-denial Jesus is talking about in this passage. So why this practice of self-denial, however minor? Well, because it's a reflection of what Jesus did in denying himself for our sake. So it is a way of us reflecting on Jesus' self-denial that has led to our possibility for life. We aren't used to thinking about following Christ in this extreme way. But is there really any other way to follow Jesus because he commands us to deny ourselves? It is not an option it is not uh, an alternative that he suggests for us. It's a command. If you want to follow me, deny yourself. Now the Greek word actually also means disown. So you disown yourself. You reject yourself. Self-denial is giving up any right to our own physical life, and needs. It is a prerequisite to taking up our cross. It was for Jesus, and it has to be for us as well. In the very words of Jesus, self-denial is saying, not my will, but yours be done. Luke even describes three people who wanted to follow Jesus, but with conditions. As they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I'd be interested to know what the man's answer was, but it's not in the text. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Apparently what that means is that he wants to go home and wait until his father dies before he enters following Jesus. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go 
and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Now, I thought that was a reasonable request. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. That's pretty rough, isn't it? Self-denial then becomes the turning point for one to follow Jesus. Without self-denial, there is no following Jesus because his life, his whole life, is one of self-denial. The cost of self-denial is giving up our old identity and taking up a new one that's called Christian, a follower of Jesus. That's why the cross became one of the symbols of Christianity. Nevertheless, while this extreme statement seems so strange to us, there is a Jewish context behind this that may help understand what he's getting at. For... uh, For Jews who were studying, it began in their local synagogues. It began when they were children and they learned to read their scriptures. And they went to um, uh, their synagogue every every week and they, they heard sermons and the reading of the scriptures. And they had sessions where they studied the scriptures. And what happens is that every once in a while, there'd be one pupil who'd be a little outstanding and he would be encouraged to go a little further and uh, what would eventually happen is that uh, when a man decided to uh, to go further um, he would temporarily leave his family and he would go off and he would work hard and prepare himself And then he would seek a sage or a rabbi who would train him. If a rabbi or a sage was to select you, your response was to cut all ties with your family, your friends, your community. And you didn't just become a student like we do in classes with a teacher. You went and lived with your rabbi. You ate with him. You slept in the same area as him. You did everything that he did. You embraced in order to learn his way of life, his values, his behavior patterns, and his understanding of God. You were, in essence, yoked with that rabbi, just like an oxen is yoked with another one. You were tied to him for your life. And the only way to leave that was to become a sage or rabbi yourself. That's the context 
behind this. That's what Jesus is referring to when he says, take my yoke upon you. Become my, my student, my disciple is the term they used for it. So the man pledged allegiance to the sage's teaching and way of life. Now let me reiterate, this is more than just being a student. This is leaving everything you know and dedicating yourself for the rest of your life wholly to this teacher's way of life. The purpose of Lenten self-denial is to evaluate our yoke with Christ. Am I putting Christ first? Are there things that I value so much they interfere with my following Jesus? In his book, Discipleship and the Cross, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German Lutheran pastor, theologian, and anti-Nazi dissident, who was a key force in founding the underground uh, confessing church in Nazi Germany during Hitler's reign, writes these words. Self-denial means knowing only Christ and no longer oneself. It means seeing only Christ who goes ahead of us and no longer the path that is too difficult for us. Can't look out there and say, mm, I don't think so. Again, self-denial is saying only he goes ahead of us, hold fast to him. The first suffering we must experience is the call sundering our ties to this world. This is the death of the old human being in the encounter with Jesus Christ. Whoever enters discipleship enters Jesus' death and puts his or her own life into death. This has been so from the beginning. The cross is not the horrible end of a pious, happy life, but stands rather at the beginning of community with Jesus Christ. Every call of Christ leads to death. End quote. <clears throat> Denying oneself is disavowing its relationship with this world and embracing God's way of life. Now I think everybody kind of knows that. I mean, that's what baptism symbolizes. Um, originally, baptism was always done, or mostly done, by immersion. And the whole symbolism of that is that when you go underwater, you die to yourself and your past life. And when you come up out of the water, you are resurrected to a new life. You've given up the old life, and you take on a new life. So when Jesus said, take up your cross, his listeners would have found it um, very repulsive.
It would be a thing to be avoided at all costs. Why? Well, because the cross was an instrument of punishment. It was, it was uh, suffering, uh, unbelievable suffering. Uh, sometimes when people were on crosses, it would take them as long as three days before they died. They're hanging up in public. They're stripped naked. It's humiliating. The pain is, is extreme. And you gasp for every possible breath you can. No Jew would find this attractive. And yet Jesus says, take up your cross. What many of them wanted was a Messiah who would throw out the Romans and end that sort of torture. Some of the apostles were indeed crucified for following Jesus and spreading the gospel. And those who weren't crucified were beheaded, stoned, stabbed, uh, pierced with a spear or a sword, burned, clubbed, or just chopped up. It was fun being a, an apostle. Jesus' command to take up their cross was a call to self-sacrifice by denying to oneself to let go of everything one valued and cherished in absolute surrender to God. In, I, I find that a little difficult as a popular way to get converts. And quite frankly, it scares me to death which it should. For us, with the advantage of an historical perspective, we know that Jesus didn't mean literally that all of us were to go carry a crossbeam for two miles to a crucifixion site and be stripped naked and suffer for days. We know that for him, that was a reality. But we know that for us, that's a figure of speech. Physical martyrdom is possible for all of us because the world, in essence, does not really like Christians who take their faith seriously. Jesus did mean leaving everything and totally committing one's life to God's will. Following Jesus is not about adding another star to our crown or another bullet point to our resume. So what does Jesus mean for us to take up our cross? After all, I thought the cross was his job, so we wouldn't have to do it. I think that's precisely the point. The cross was Jesus' mission. He was born to die for our sin so that sin and death could be overcome, could be conquered, could be defeated, so that all of us could have eternal life. That was his mission in life. <clears throat> For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever would believe in him might not perish, 
but have everlasting life. Dying on the cross for the sin of the world and overcoming death was his mission. And taking up your cross and my cross means living out the mission to which God has called each of us. To complete that mission, we must deny ourselves so that our human needs and desires don't prevent us from fulfilling it. So what is your mission? What is God's cross for you? Our task in following Jesus is simply to discover what that cross is. The mission is not what our family wants us to do, nor is it what we want to do. It's what we discover God wants us to do with our life. And part of that mission for each of us is to recruit and disciple others as followers of Jesus' way. That's an awesome task. But I think God's up to it. Jesus wants to know if we will deny ourselves, take up our cross, so that we can follow him. And if you haven't already answered, he's waiting for your answer. Amen. Amen.